We have a great show on tap for you today. Um, we have Ryan Shea coming into the studio. He'll be joining us. Just finished up his career with the Northeastern University Huskies, former captain of the Huskies, three-time Beanpot champion, and just recently signed an NHL contract with the Dallas Stars. So we're uh, super excited to be bringing Ryan on today. So what's going on, Mots? How's everything going? Hanging in there. We um, were able to get back to some real games. Uh, my son played in a tournament up in New Hampshire over the uh, the weekend. So getting to the rink and having some contact and, and letting the boys play a, a real game was was pretty cool uh, to coach, be behind the bench, you know, gets the... Must have been fired up. Yeah, got all the boys going. So it was great. We started practices this week, too. I, I was in mid-season form on the ice. Like, I, I was feeling it. The sauce was there. Couple apples. You know what I mean? I wasn't I wasn't afraid to jump into a drills with the older kids, and uh, I was having a good time out there, and, and I was vocal. I think session one of the podcast really helped my, uh, my vocal cords on the ice. Nice. Good communication. Like a store 24, open 24-7. Yeah. Chad Ochocinco. Yeah, so I love when there's uneven numbers in practice because I get to jump in and I always tell the kids it doesn't get old winning championships, whether it be two-on-two, three-on-three, whatever. So, <laughs> exactly. Good active stick. Got to get involved in the games. So I just want to get into a quick story. Great uh, feedback so far on, on the podcast. A lot of uh, people have been reaching out and really enjoyed um, what we've brought to the table here. And I got to give credit where credit's due. A buddy of mine was the one who kind of introduced the, the Rink Shrink name to me. My buddy Mike, he, he was calling me basically... All last year, off the chain, he was having some issues with his coach and and the team and all that type of stuff. And uh, and I'm like, dude, I'm like your rink shrink. Like this is out of control. I'm like, I talk to you more about your team than than I do any of the three teams that I coach. He's like, dude, that's a that's a great name. What we should do? He's like, we'll set up a couch in my garage. You know, we'll have all these disgruntled parents come over and we'll talk about you know what their issues are, and you can give out diagnoses and 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 medications. And you know, you're really upset this week. Your diagnosis is six Bud Lights, two shots of Jameson, and, uh, you know, a fireball shot. And, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully things calm down for you. So I got to give my buddy uh, Mike the, uh, the, the credit where credit's due for the Rink Shrink's name. Um, and, you know, hopefully someday we'll get him a T-shirt or a sweatshirt. Well, it's a, a great concept, great name. And uh, maybe once we uh, get some video going, we can have a, the guest lay down on the couch. Yeah, he's a former uh, UConn player back when they were in the MAC too. Not not quite Division One, but he, he knows the game. That's great. Yeah, I just wanted to tell the listeners about the backstory on why you're called Ross. You know, for <laughs> those that don't know it, Brian's brother Keith was playing for the Phoenix Coyotes against Boston in Boston, and you're at the game, right? Yeah, uh, at yep. the Garden. Yeah. So you're not listening to the telecast, but Jack Edwards, who's the play-by-play guy, was kind of pumping up uh, Keith and you know, being a local kid and talking about uh, his brother, right? Something along these lines was a two-time All-American at UNH, Ross Yandel, was a great college player, Keith's brother. So, I mean, your phone was blown off the hook with with uh, text messages and, you know, whatnot. And later in the games, like, Keith Yandel came up with the ice with the fuck Ross's brother. <laughs> so, you know, Jack's heart's in the right place. But, you know, you got to do some uh, fact-checking before you start spewing it out over the telecast. So that really got some legs. And maybe you can talk about, you know, just as, as a uh, nickname where it's gone. It's, uh, it's a pretty hilarious name. And like you said, it was... Uh... It happened just that way, and uh, my phone was was blowing up like crazy. It was hilarious, and everybody's calling me Ross. I'm just getting text messages like Ross with 4,000 exclamation points, you know what I mean? It was hilarious, and then 
it's come into this Rossi Beach and and all that stuff. And my uh, my brother's daughter Mila, she's hilarious. She uh, she gets every time she gets on the phone, especially down there, Florida. She's like Rossi Beach, <laughs> and uh, it's absolutely hilarious how she says it, and and it's pretty it's pretty funny. That's awesome. So we got some NHL playoff games being played. What are your thoughts? Hard to see the bees lose. That's for sure. Losing that double overtime game, you know. But there's definitely some, uh, you know, there's there's going to be some interesting storylines coming the off season here with uh, obviously Tuca's situation, Chara's contract being done, uh, Tory Krug also being a free agent. Uh, I think he's going to get plenty of uh, attention around the league. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if the bees can uh, afford him. Like you said, some storylines to be followed in the offseason. They're a veteran group. They've been together for a while, so it'll be uh, kind of different to see some turnover. But that's why uh, the GMs have their jobs. You know, they have to kind of make these decisions, and they have some players coming up and being ready to to uh, step into the lineup. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that. Other games uh, out there, there's some great series and you know a lot of great hockey being played. So. Yeah, we'll be heading into the conference finals now, and uh, it's anybody's championship at this point. Exactly. So we'd love to get into preparing your team for the season with the rank shrinks. It's just our approach, really, on preparing not only the player but the parent for the upcoming season. Yeah, this is something that Mots and I, we talk about all the time, and um, season preview and, and what these parents should expect and what these players should expect Mott has a unique perspective of coaching 15, 16-year-old kids, so his approach may be a little different than me coaching 8- and 9-year-olds, but at the end of the day, it's basically the same type of message that uh, we're trying to prepare these teams and, and players, and we feel that all you listeners out there, you, you guys should be uh, paying attention to this stuff because we think it's very important. I'd like to bring the parents in and have them sit down in the locker room, the same seats that their their kids are are going to be sitting in and listen to the same message. Six feet apart. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important for you know the player and, and the parent and the coach to be on the same page. Control what you can control. Your attitude, your work ethic, your person being a good teammate. And the most important thing is focus. Focus and practice. And then the execution is up to your, the best of your ability. So if you lay out some of those guidelines. It's not about talent. It's about being a good person, cultivating a good environment, setting those expectations for the player and the parent uh, so everyone's on the same page. I think it's really important to put that stuff out there and, and then stick with it. You know, ultimately, it's, it's definitely a, a, a great way to kind of get everything out there and, and, and make sure that the team is, is pulling in the right direction together. Yeah, and that's the most important thing as, as a coach is, is you want everybody on the same page. And you see it even at the NHL level. I think everybody needs to be on the same page and everybody's got to be striving towards the same goal. And as long as you're clear with your expectations um, as a coach, then it makes your job easier. A couple different rules that you know I like to go by, and, and I think the first one I always lead off with this is is the most important is the 24-hour rule. And for those of you that don't know what that is, the 24-hour rule is basically give yourself 24 hours before you contact that coach, before you send that email. Uh, you might be upset over you know what happened in the game, or maybe your kid got short-shifted, maybe you got pulled off the power play at the wrong time you felt. And instead of sitting back on Saturday night after you've had a 12-pack or a couple bottles of vino, wait 24 hours, digest it, and then pick up the phone and make the phone call. And what I always encourage my parents to do is let's let's not go back and forth over text or email. Uh, let's let's have a conversation in, in person because text messages and emails, those can be misconstrued. If you have a conversation, even if it's five minutes after practice or before practice, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. 
Yeah, that communication is important at, at any level, especially when a parent, you know, you're, you're fully vested into your kid and the coach has, you know, everyone's best interests in, in, uh, in play. But, you know, again, it, it's taking it into perspective and having a candid conversation with the coach is, is uh, the most important thing that you can do. You know, another thing that I like to, and, and I'll go through these quickly, is, you know, no yelling at the referees from the stands. A lot of these kids are, are not very old. They're kids that are 13, 14 years old, especially at my age group, that, you know, are just out there trying to make a couple extra bucks. And you wouldn't like it if your son or daughter was being screamed at. And that's kind of what I try to tell uh, all of my parents is if put yourself in their shoes, if it was your your 14-year-old son that was refereeing a game and he was getting screamed at, you'd want to go punch the guy right in the face, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I've never seen a referee change a call at any level, especially there's no video replays at the might and squirt and peewee level in uh, uh, in Massachusetts, that's for sure. So It's an emotional game. You know, everyone gets emotional, especially in a tight game or, you know, if there's some physicality. Um, so, you know, just trying to maintain that that kind of level-headed mindset. You know, even as a coach, you, you, you do get wrapped up in the game and you have to kind of check yourself at times because the kids do feed off of your energy. Right. You know, whether it be positive or negative, and it's always a good reminder for coaches saying nothing versus blowing a gasket. Because well, the kids, the kids, they pick up on that stuff. So if you're yelling and screaming at the referees, they're going to think that that's okay and that's normal to do, and also the parents are going to do it. And it's just it's bad energy. And you know, as a coach, you should be focused on on making your kids better hockey players and try to coach them through those tough situations. Maybe it is a bad call. But you got to work through it, and, and it happens for both teams. Bad right. calls happen. The referee's not out there. They're not choosing favorites. There's no home ice advantage in youth hockey these days. These referees, they barely know what rink they're going to, never mind the uh, the home team. Another thing for the, for the parents is, um, you know, no hand signals or yelling to your kids on the ice. Don't be the shoot guy screaming. Shoot. Uh, shoot. Or, uh, you know, move it. All that type of stuff is... Uh, it's painful because you might be thinking shooting this and, and, and your son is being told by the coach, hey, you should be looking to pass there or whatever. So just we have no problem cheering people on and being supportive, but don't be the guy screaming from the, the stands to uh, go forward with the face off when <laughs> the coach is, you know, I'm telling you to draw it back. And I got Johnny's dad in the corner screaming, go to the net with it, you know. Yeah, yeah we want the puck. I, I told the boys that this this uh, past weekend, you know, you're on your toes, the puck drops, you're going in, you're battling, and you're just shoveling it back to their D. All right, let's let's think about that rationally. Yeah, we want the puck, we want possession. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's one area of the game that, you know, you just have to stress. But coming from the stands, it, it could be another issue. And hopefully the uh, the only one parent in the rink at a time might help that type of stuff, you know. And then a new rule is obviously it's uh, BYOW, bring your own water bottle. We talk, <laughs> we talk about being a good teammate and being selfless, but... I guess you can't be uh, be that way with the water bottles and bring your own water bottle with the COVID uh, rules and res- restrictions. So yeah, you can't be the uh, the guy that likes to go up and down the bench and hooking people up with water and being the the Bobby Boucher of the team. You know what I mean? <laughs> you gotta be the uh, everybody's gotta stick to their own water bottle. It's uh, it's it's one of those things like we talked about last episode where uh, different things we're gonna have to sacrifice here. You know? I hear that. Another quick thing that that you know and, and this over gets overlooked sometimes, but I always go over with my teams, the school comes first. If you're not a good student, if you don't have good grades, then 
you know, hockey's a, a extracurricular activity that should be taken away. And I always tell my parents um, for all my teams that if, if their kids aren't performing in school up to their standards, then you take hockey away from them, whether it's a week or two or three. It is what it is. And I'll never forget the story. My brother was in, uh, in high school and uh, our guest, Ryan Shea, today, his father, Danny, was my brother's head coach his freshman year at Milton High. And uh, halfway through the season, my father went to Danny and said, hey, Keith's done. His grades aren't up to par, and I'm pulling him off the team. And Danny's like, are you kidding me? He's my my best player on the ice. Like, I I, I can't have that. He's not ineligible. And he's like, listen, he goes, he's not going to play in the NHL. If his grades aren't good, he can't play hockey. So he sat him down. It took a week or two. He got his grades back up. He met with his teachers, and he did the right thing. Well, that's that's a great lesson. You look at all these kids coming through now looking to go to uh, wherever, you know, a, a top high school, a prep school, college, eventually. That's the most important thing. And the first question that's asked by these coaches and admissions, what type of student, how do they test? You know, there's a lot that goes into it, but it starts with good study habits early, and that, that's a great rule for you to have. I shared a tweet in the last couple of days. It was from Jeff Fry. It was actually a baseball tweet, but it was called the most valuable parent. If you can go onto my Twitter, Beach underscore Rossi, it, it had some pretty good things for parents to read, for players to read, but especially for the parents. And it talked about a, a parent's relationship with this kid and how it was fractured because of the pressure that he was putting on his son with baseball, but it, it all can be translated. I mean, we're talking about sports here. It's all the same. But, you know, one of the things I really took away from it was, you know, never badmouth another player or a parent, especially in front of your kids. It kind of sums it up. It was it was a longer paragraph. But parents that complain about kids or the person that your son or daughter is playing with, your kid's going to hear that and they're going to pick up on it. And it's just negative energy. It just sends a bad message to, to your son or your daughter. And, and it's unacceptable. They should be excited to play with everybody on the rank, everybody on their team, all their teammates. If, if there's a lesser player that's on maybe his line that he or she feels, you should take pride in trying to pick that guy up. If I'm the number one defenseman, a lot of times I got to play with the number four or the five or the six. Hey, I'm the top dog. I got to be the guy that that carries this guy along. Yeah, and as a coach, you're culti- trying to cultivate a good environment within the room and and trying to have everyone on the on the same level playing field. So a parent can do their small part by not bad mouthing a you know a lesser player or, or kind of putting those thoughts into the the, the uh, son or daughter's head on the ride home or the ride to the rink or whatever it is. So just just try to do your part and and kind of skate your lane, uh, as they say and. It helps cultivate that positive environment and that uh, mentality that that we all love about hockey players. That tweet, like I said, it's called the most valuable parent. Go back and look at it. It's it's definitely important. Has some really good things. And like you just brought up with the the car ride home, don't be the guy that's browbeating your kid. Give him some encouragement. And once the game's over, it's over. There's nothing worse than a kid being tormented in the car because. Uh, he had a bad shift. Yeah, if you want to chat about the game, you just try to keep it light enough and uh, just see whether there can be some improvement. But ultimately, it's it's a tough road when, you know, you have played and you've had experiences on, on trying to help. It is a, a slippery slope. Well, it's difficult, especially when, like you said, when you played and, and you know the level and level of competition. And the most important thing is the effort, right? If mm-hmm. the kid's out there and he's putting forth good effort, then that's what it's all about. Don't worry about if he didn't score for the last three games. You know, scoring slumps happen. College hockey, NHL, it's it's part of the game. So don't, don't let because little Johnny didn't score in the last three games. Uh, now you can't go out to eat with the rest of the parents because you're so upset about it. <laughs> Coming up after the break, we're happy to have Ryan Shea as our guest. Looking forward to hearing about his experiences coming through youth hockey, his college experiences, and signing a pro contract. 
Our next guest grew up in Milton, Massachusetts, Ryan Shea. He grew up playing in the South Shore Kings in Boston Junior Terriers organization, a 1997 birth year. He's the son of a man who knows how to tap the Rockies better than anyone in the country. He was selected in the fourth round, 121st overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2015 NHL draft. He just finished up his senior season at Northeastern University, where he's the team captain and three-time Beanpot champion. He just recently signed an NHL contract with the Dallas Stars. Welcome to the Brink Shrinks podcast, Rye. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And uh, not to mention, he was also the uh, March cover of the New England Hockey Journal, the Beanpot edition. So pretty good stuff there. Great stuff. A three-time Beanpot winner, local kid. Awesome to have you on, bud. One of the best kids to come out of Milton recently. I mean, obviously not the top couple. We, the Yando brothers, get that wrapped up, but... Uh, Definitely one of the better guys that's been around uh, com- clo- coming out of the 02186, you know. A close third. Yeah, yeah, we'll give him. We'll give him three. Yeah, so as far as um, having you on, we would like to hear some of your experiences growing up in Milton. Kind of walk us through some of the, the youth hockey experiences and, and kind of where your path went as far as hockey. Yeah, I mean, I started off in, uh, obviously, the Milton Youth Systems. Kind of built my way up to Boston Junior Terriers, where, uh, as Brian know, Coach Simeone was my coach for uh, several years there. And uh, my dad was sometimes on the bench, but he got kicked off a couple of years through because <laughs> he was he was definitely over the top sometimes. After that, I kind of got used to that with uh, going to the South Shore Kings. And I had Neil Shea, no relation, by the way. <laughs> I had Neil Shea coach me for several years. We were probably the one, one of the most successful teams in, like, the Massachusetts area, probably. In the last couple of years, uh, we ended up first in the country for a while. I mean, we had guys like superstars like Noah Hannafin, Colin White, those type of guys. Um, Are they any good? I mean, they, they weren't bad back then. I no, mean, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, you kind of just did whatever Noah, you follow Noah around and you do whatever he did. That's definitely when I kind of came into my game because that's um, when Neil kind of turned me into the fence a little bit. I remember up in Whitby, we had a tournament. I think it was silver sticks if i know yeah, it yeah. know it right and then um i remember like it was yesterday because john marino got kicked out of a game we only had three defensemen and i ended up getting put on a deep pairing with noah hannafin we were playing the detroit team we ended up winning i mean I, I don't know if i played pretty good or i was just playing with him but neil uh put me as a d-man the rest of the time and then that's kind of when my uh my decision changed going into my eighth grade year and uh freshman year of bci where yeah. kind of all shifted now, do you think playing forward and then switching to D helped you play the position better? With forward, the, the game's all around you, and then with D, the game's in front of you. Yeah. Could you manage it better or, and put forwards in better positions because you knew what you didn't like? Yeah, for sure. I would not be anywhere close to where I am now if I was a forward. I was kind of that third line, like, would kind of bump and grind. And D, I just turned into, like, a puck-moving D-man because I, I just thought the position was way easier. Like, there's a huge difference to it. And it kind of let me, like, slow the game down to my speed. So, I mean, I remember when my dad didn't want me. My dad wanted me to be a forward. Obviously, he was a forward. He was against it. Brian, Coach Simeone, and my coach at PCI were all against uh, with me to play D. And that's kind of where it finally, like, switched up. And my dad... Just like every kind of big decision when he kind of wanted me to go one way, but I knew I had to go the other way. It, it was funny. I remember those conversations uh, and you being in middle school because, uh, you know, your father really was, you know, he wanted you to play forward. And I remember talking to him like, Danny, 
you know, not everybody can go score 190 points at BC like you did. You know what I mean? And, you know, it allows you to see the game from a different perspective and control it and play it at your pace. And you're the quarterback there. You're able to make plays. And, you know, what also helped too is all of a sudden you went from a kid that was, you didn't have great size, but yeah. then all of a sudden when, you know, you went to BC high, you, uh, you brought it up and, you know, now you're what, six one, six two, And, yep. and now you, you know, a, a nice long range, you got a great stick and then you're able to see the game, which is, which is huge. And now as, as far as going from uh, BC high to the decision not to go to prep school, come back and, and go to BC high, I think that was for your junior year, and then go out to Youngstown in the USHL. You just talk to us a little bit about that. Ever since I was on varsity as a freshman and ever since that freshman year, I played a good amount in the team, uh, the coaching staff, like really trusted me. So there was no reason for me to leave. Like I kind of like took a gamble at that point, but after that year, like no matter how good you are, like they're going to find you wherever you play. Like you that's a great to, point. Yeah. You don't have to play at the top level because some guys are great in one area and then goes to the prep school and they're, they're promised this, but they end up being like fourth, fifth defenseman. When at BCI came back my junior year and like, obviously I was the go-to guy. It was my, that was like my draft year and six NHL scouts in the building, whether we're playing at St. Mary's Lynn or we're playing at UMass Boston, a home game. Like, there was no reason for me to leave, and I was loyal to uh, Coach Flaherty and Coach Roach and McDonald that they told me the truth. And I remember one flash was like, when you're ready to leave, I'm going to tell you to leave. And even though I had the option to go up to Youngstown uh, my junior year or go to Dexter or there or something like that, he was like, I'm gonna, you're going to be gone your senior year. You might as well just try to win a, a Super 8 title. I thought a Super 8 title was definitely better than winning the prep school title. You get to play in the garden. Yeah, that's awesome. You get to play in the garden in front of all your Milton friends and BCI friends. So, yeah, it was nice. I won too. <laughs> I won too. Freshman, sophomore year. CM. You know, loyalty, like you said, loyalty has, has a lot to do with it too. And that's something that we're trying to relate in the show. There's a lot of people that they program jump and they're always looking for the next best thing. And you just proved our point perfectly is you were loyal to the school. Obviously, you know, Flash is a great coach and a great person. And he was honest with you and he told you, he's like, hey, when you're ready to go, you're ready to go. But why wouldn't you play 35 minutes a night or whatever it is um, at BC High and you're going to get great development and, and play in all key situations as opposed to maybe going to another private school and, and you don't get all those opportunities. You got to share the ice a little bit more. So it's great stuff. And, and I kind of wanted to just bring it back a little bit to, you know, when you were younger, like you said, you played with, with Noah and, and all these stud um, 97 birthia kids that came from, from the Massachusetts area. But were you the type of kid, were you playing baseball, lacrosse? Were you playing flag football? Were you playing all these different sports? Or did you kind of specialize right away? Oh, no. I mean, I, I was multi-sport athlete all the way up to, I think, sophomore year in high school. I played baseball. I don't even think I played hockey year-round when I was a little kid. I played hockey up to a certain point and played in some summer tournaments, two or three, but I loved baseball. I played soccer a lot. I didn't. I never played basketball. I played basketball when I was young, young as an organized sport, but like basketball was like a passion of mine, just maybe more of a hobby. Baseball helped me with a lot of things in hockey that like I could never imagine. And yep. That's why like, I hear about like kids at a young age specializing in one sport and 
I think everyone at a high level, like in the NHL, guy, they've all played other sports, whether it's lacrosse, baseball, anything. Yeah, that's good. That that's good stuff, and that's something that Mots and I we talk about all the time. Is uh, you can learn so much from every different sport, and you know it's funny you bring up basketball, but I was in eighth grade, and things were were a lot different then. There wasn't all these full season teams and stuff like that. But a lot of the guys that I played with, they were going into high school, and I was still in the eighth grade, and my father was like, "Go play hoop for the winter." And I was like, what? Like, I've never played basketball in my life. He's like, but there's so many d- different things that you can learn from the sport and be an athlete. And I ended up finding some hockey games. I ended up having to travel to Marlboro and play with the Flames to get some games in and, and stuff like that. But I played basketball and it was comedy. But my father was like, hey, just be an athlete. You know what I mean? And that's that's important. It really is. Yeah, there's different skill sets that you can apply to hockey after playing another sport. You know, baseball, my hand, weight transfer. You know, and then that mental side of it, it's a little slower, right? So you have to be mentally dialed in, basketball moving your feet, and then defending. You know, that's all stuff that we uh, we talked about in baseball. You there's you're that guy too. Like you're the one guy that's up to bat, and you strike out like. You're not looking around the ice being like, hey, I had my guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was, it's all on you. Uh, you boot the ground ball to uh, to third base. You can't you can't point the finger and, and say, hey, I had my guy. Yeah, you're on an island. Yeah, you're, that's get, it. you're getting the minus no matter what. <laughs> I mean, my, my dad played baseball and hockey in college, too. It's great to be very good at one sport, but I think one of the best compliments a person can get is being called like, you're, like that kid's a great athlete. You know, you talked about some of your coaches. Obviously, Tony Saragusa, a.k.a. Greg Simeone, <laughs> is a good friend of Mott's and I is a great guy. And, uh, and and your father, who, you know, is another good friend of ours, and Neil Shea, who we know very well and is a, is a great hockey mind himself. Um, if you looked back and said, this guy had the biggest impact on my youth hockey career, what would you, um, you know, who would you say, I guess, is, is the question? Well, I mean, that's tough because I think Neil Shea was probably – the better coaches I had, I know he was, he's known as very aggressive, very loud, but kind of taught, taught at it like a pro level when mm-hmm. at that age, like he was like the best of the best coaching wise. He just knew how to win games. Like he'll yell at you in your face, but like he toughened you up at a young age. And that's why when I go to BCI and I have Flash or Rochi yelling in my face all the time, I'm like, I was used to it. I know. I think Coach Simeone, you can't, what he's done for me my whole life and knowing that family since I was I think two years old and being best friends to this day with um, like Christian and Greg and the rest of their family. I think great people. Yeah. His, the lessons he taught me is I'll carry those on to like the day I die. The same with my dad, but like talking about just coaching, like he knows how to make the game fun. Like at a young age, he wasn't like a guy that like would sit people, like he'll make you erase your memory and go out there and just play the game. And that, at that young of age, all you want to do is you want to be like scoring goals. You want to be get told you're having a good game. You don't get You want to be getting your tires pumped. Yeah. Like he was a great role model for me. I know Neil, Neil Shea, coaching wise, Mr. Simeone, life lesson. That's good stuff. Now, when you model your game, would you say you're more like your dad or your uncle John? <laughs> I mean, I would say my Uncle John because in the D zone, I just I pretty much sit in front of the net, and that's all he does in the O zone. Yeah, think, yep. but he thinks he has the best hands in the world. That he thinks you you shoot anywhere, he's gonna tip it. I mean, they, that comes from his hoop days, yeah. though. You know, 
I mean, he should have stuck with hoops. Like, like his boots are like 18. Like, it's they're crazy. <laughs> they're bigger than Charles. I mean, they're 18s, 18s or 19s. And then he's always coming over and he's, he's like stealing my sticks. Yeah. I would be, like, I'm just down two sticks every time he comes over. <laughs> and, he, and he doesn't even use them, though, no, when he, he plays. Like, yeah, he can't he, use he them. He gives them like, to people. And, oh. and Ryan's 6'2", and, you know, his Uncle John's about 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, yeah. and, and He's effective on the forecheck, though, with the uh, long <laughs> extended stick. You yeah. Know? yeah, so more or less you get your talent from your Uncle John. Yeah. Right. We got that. As long that, as we clear that's that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, we're good there. So could you uh, talk about the, the recruiting process going um, from, you know, say, BC High uh, to Youngstown, but uh, the recruiting process going to college, some of the teams that are interested. I heard the story of, of maybe jump, wanting to jump at, you know, the first offer because yeah. you're excited about it, but, uh, you know, maybe letting that process play out and trusting the the process and, you know, kind of your feelings that, you know, kind of go through your mind. and Yeah, I mean, I have to give my dad a lot of credit on that one like because I the first school I visited was uh, Merrimack. They ended up giving me a full ride, and right away I was like, that was the first school I went to. That's the first time I felt like everything's kind of paid off. Got home, I was like, let's do it, like, let's just commit. And my dad was like, just wait, like, even though Mark Dennehy's I was going to say, plus there, you have like, the Dennehy connection, yeah. yes, yeah. So, like, and everything, was, they're walking through the new locker room. It's As it gone, like as it went on, it was kind of quiet after I went to Merrimack for, like, two weeks. Teams like, B, like BU, Providence, I went out to Miami, Ohio. Uh, that must have been fun. Yeah, it was fun. I mean... I mean, it's a great party school, but I don't know if they're really... Isn't it like 70, 30 girls? Yeah, it's it's crazy in any, every aspect for, for a guy, but the hockey wasn't really the greatest spot. I actually, I liked UNH. <laughs> Bri was all over the UNH trainer yeah, then. Yeah. I liked UNH. I liked Maine, even though it was... Playing in that rink is unbelievable. Not gonna, Like, whether you're playing against them or... Oh, it's awesome. But, no, it was it was definitely just all about patience, like... It got to a point that my dad's patients were waiting until BC offers. I don't know. I went to Northeastern. I know like everyone thinks like the connection between me and Coach Magan because of Millen. It wasn't even like that. It was just like they were just honest with me. They told me like they told me what I was going to be, what they see me being, and that's kind of like what I liked. Like all these schools, they can say like, "Oh, you're you're going to be the guy freshman year," but you got to still come in and get the job done. Like n- at no level are they going to give like someone they promised the best shot. If you're the best player, you're going to play. And that's kind of what Northeastern was. It could be a first-round draft pick going there, and if you weren't playing good, kid who was a fourth-round would play over you. So yeah, that's, that's what, awesome, and, and being honest is the biggest thing. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Coach Madigan has a great reputation of being a great person and an honest guy like that. And Coach Keith does a great job at cultivating good environment and, and that structure, like from, from up top watching you guys play all together as a team. And you know, the X's and O's, I'm sure uh, you can speak to that. But, you know, just being a scout and watching, you know, you know, you guys going back for retrievals, power play, all that stuff. And, and I know you had a big role in that. Yeah, it's it's honestly not how smart, like, the whole coaching staff is. But Coach Keefe is probably one of the best recruiters. Like, he'll bring in, like, great guys, but he'll bring in, like, great, like, great people that, like, I don't know if he senses it, but these guys just, they come in, they know their role right away, and they're that they play that role all the way through their four years. And they're probably the most important guys on our team. Obviously, he's kind of a magician with on the power play. Like, his power play just always works no matter who you put on there. But, um, yeah, our systems, it's just, I think everyone bought into it. They they really thought it through. And sometimes, like, going back for a D, like, I would, the amount of blind passes I would just give to the middle of the ice because I know our centerman's going to be there. It was just... Yeah, it makes me look good, but it's kind of just like every day in practice we're doing that, so it's like second nature. 
Yeah. That's great. Mots and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, you know, watching you pretty closely. You were drafted by Chicago. I'm working with Chicago. And I always thought you were great under pressure on retrievals, right? So at the next level, you're going to be under pressure a lot. But using the middle of the ice is is huge. And it was just really cool to watch. You had the confidence because it was coached and you had that support. So especially in big games when it's easy to just eat it or, you know, yeah. shovel shovel your mess around the wall and get it off your stick, making those short little plays is going to be really valuable for you at the next level. And it was just a pleasure to watch. Yeah. Obviously, like Mike touched on, you were drafted by Chicago. Obviously, you did your four years and, and you didn't sign with, with the Blackhawks and chose, you know, I believe you had some good opportunities. Can you kind of walk us uh, through that and ultimately what made you uh, choose Dallas? It wasn't anything like against Chicago. I think they're, and Mike could probably attest to this, but I think the depth chart for D, it's a little packed right now. They have a mm-hmm. lot of the last couple of drafts. They've drafted high end draft picks, like first, second rounders, defensemen, and I, I don't know. I just thought those guys might get the chance before me, even if maybe I play better. So I was, even though I loved the guys there, like Mark Eaton was probably one of my favorite guys. He knew the game. He knew he kind of like I don't know if he liked me because like I've I've seen his the way he plays. And he kind of like plays like me a little bit. Yes. So yeah, I just didn't think it was the greatest spot for me to start my career or kind of just make sure I get it best spot possible. It was kind of brutal just waiting from March where we got canceled all the way August fifteenth. Having people ask me like, "Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing?" and telling them like the same thing. Like I probably. I, I could have memorized the statement I said to about a hundred people, but yeah. So once it hit August fifteenth, I think it was a Saturday. The Monday after, I went to uh, my agent Matt Cater's house, and I was there for probably three to four hours. And I had five five conference calls with teams like anywhere from Nashville, Dallas, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg. Like talked to Edmonton, and then later that night, Billy Ryan was calling about uh, Florida, but obviously they didn't have a GM at the time. But uh, and then I just kind of slept on it, cut my list down to Pittsburgh and Dallas. And because I really I talked to Mike Sullivan and he's I mean, you guys, you guys know him. He's very, you know, the BC high yeah, guy, very hardcore. And he would he would just like he'll tell you how it is. And he, he gave John Marine on the opportunity. John obviously played unbelievable. And you could tell he, he was going to be accountable no matter who you are. So woke up in the morning. Dallas's depth chart was a little bit less jammed and. I talked to Jim Nill, the GM, and he was like, I thought he was one of the best guys I've talked to, and he was, he was honest with me. And then I talked to Mr. Stevens, the, the D coach for Dallas, who um, I, I, my freshman and sophomore year, Johnny, his young, his oldest son was my captain. Nolan was the captain after that, so I had that little bit of connection. And he, he's kind of like a Mike Sullivan the guy. He would just tell you the truth, and he's like, I don't care about. You could be a first rounder, like it doesn't matter. Like if a free agent's coming in and playing better than you, like you're playing. That's all I needed to hear, pretty much. And Dallas seems like a nice spot. It's always hot down there. You can play golf year round, and like. And also, if if you don't, you know, make the NHL team right away, I believe there are AHL teams in Austin, which is yeah, which a pretty is, decent spot too, right? Yeah, I heard that place is even better than Dallas. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm just happy that you um that you signed because Ryan used to. Uh, caddy the Fallon Cup up at Wallston and back when he was in high school and college and he'd come up and you know basically he just he drove the cot uh and and we'd walk and you know once in a while he would send him out to be our four caddy and stuff like that could never find the ball so he (laughs) 
He clearly had no future in, in the caddy program. So I'm just happy that that went down because you definitely, uh, you chose the right career path, that's for sure. I guess, like you said, him and Christian Simeone, his buddy, the two of them, they'd, they'd show up late. Uh, you know, the tea time would be at 930. They'd be there at 945. They'd be, you know, we'd be yelling at them. They'd be giving it back to us. Then they'd be like, hey, we got to go down and uh, we got to work out. We got to leave early. It's like, dude, what are we paying you for? You know what I mean? You're driving around basically making sure the beers stay cold in the car while we actually get the exercise in and you show up late, you leave early. So thank God you uh, you were able to, to sign that contract. How about a fresca? Yeah, I mean, that, that got bad when I uh, I noticed Brian stopped asking me for a club. He would just come and grab his own club. So I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that dumb. Like I can tell the difference between a nine iron and a six iron. Like, yeah. No cheeseburger. I want a hot dog. I want a milkshake. I want potatoes. You'll chips. get nothing and like it. No, and then I, you know, I'd, I'd hit like a decent shot, and we're in, we're in like it's pretty legit, like matches, you know, and. <laughs> You know, I look over and, you know, I mock my ball and throw it to him and it just hits him in the chest because he's like <laughs> texting some somebody, you know what I mean? Like, what the heck is going on here? It was unbelievable. Dial it in here. We're a team. Yeah. I mean, what am I paying this kid for? It's out of control. Moving forward, you know, so like you talked about the Dallas uh, situation, that's so great because it's not so much about the finances or the money now, the yeah. contract, it's about opportunity. So yeah. it's really great that you're able to kind of vet through some of the teams that are interested and look at those depth charts. And as far as moving forward, that next step is must be, you know, extremely exciting. So you're working out moving forward and, and kind of seeing where this uh, training camp will, will start. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, but all I've heard is that because Corona is pretty bad down there, like it's in the, like in Texas and California, Florida, they just, they never closed. I, I guess they never really shut down, but now they are. So uh, they said if they can get out there early to skate and work out like a month early, but if not, then I think training camp is either November 10th or 16th around that time. So right now it's, this is when like the real work starts. It's me. I mean, I have nothing else to do. I've just been working out skating like twice or three times a week and then playing golf. Like that's pretty much my days. Did like, you start the driver's ed course yet? Because yeah. uh, Ryan is, is, what 23 23 yeah and uh and still doesn't have a driver's license so you want to walk us through your uh the, the, the background on that situation the process yeah i mean i went to get my permit when i was 16 like right on time and i uh i failed it and i was <laughs> I, I was i was very very it's a mad. tough test yeah i was very mad that i never went i like never went back but i actually I went a week ago, got my permit, so... You still have to get your permit when you're yeah. 23? Well, I don't have to take driving classes, so I can get my permit and take my driving test on the same day. I don't think your driving test doesn't... They don't open up until, like, September 8th, but I can't be going out to training camp with no license at 23. That would just... That would put me behind right away. Yeah, so did, did Keith give him some advice a while back? Yeah, I thought Keith told you something, too, back in the day, like, about getting a license and car and all that type of stuff, right? Didn't Keith get it a little? He got it a little late, didn't he? Yeah, Keith got it. Uh, At like nineteen, I, I think when he went up to Moncton. Yeah, yeah, he was a little late to the game too. He was. We, thought, we had to Uber him around before Uber was a, was a thing. You know, <laughs> was his thought process? Uh, don't get your license until you can buy a car. I mean, that was kind of my excuse for to my friends because <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, I probably owe Chris Simeone about fifty grand in gas money over the last <laughs> guys from like Milton just over the last, I don't know, like eight years, seven years. But yeah, he said when he, he bought his first car is when he first, he wanted, when he first made his real money. 
he said he said to me, I forget when this was. I think this I think it was eighteen or seventeen. He was like, nothing nothing beats buying your own car with your own money. So like, and that's I I'll say that as an excuse, even though like I definitely should have got my license at an earlier date. That's great. Keith can be a good role model in some things and others. <laughs> yeah, you gotta so, sort so through some of that info. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You obviously signed a contract. Did you get your signing bonus yet, or how's that work? I know the thing. Yeah, that... it takes two weeks. I got it. Uh, I got it two days ago. All right, so. nice lunch on you after. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but any other uh, big purchases or anything like that? No, not besides really. Your, besides your permit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was only thirty bucks, so I could still pay that out of pocket. <laughs> but um, hey, Dad, can I borrow thirty? Oh well, that's another. My dad's buddy won a uh, a new driver, like a TS2, like nice driver, and I've been looking for a driver for a while. And he wanted a raffle, and it's been I've been like testing it out. My dad paid like three hundred bucks for it. All he's been doing is taking. I leave my like wallet just like in the family room, and he just takes my card and goes and gets like coffee every morning to, add, <laughs> to like add up to that. And I'm just like, and then he still wants like two hundred and seventy five bucks from me. He's just been hounding me. He says he doesn't have. Like, he was like, I don't have that in my checking account. I'm like, dude, I'll pay you. Shea, so what just, a beauty. Love it, oh. Danny Shea, the legend. But other than that, just golfing. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're a guest at when you're going as a guest at Wally, and like for a guy who's on like a rookie membership, it's, it's like 120 bucks to play there. That's why you got to just be like me. I just have 20 guys that are members, and I just try to bounce around, bounce, bounce around to each one. Hey, what's up for uh, Thursday? You got anything going on? Yeah. And then I call, you know, Full call Wit one day. I call Keith the next. I call, uh, you know, your uncle John and all these different guys. You know, full so, scholarship. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The Mike Arizioni of Wollaston. Yeah. So, Rye, obviously, now you've been in contact with, the, uh, you know, the Dallas Stars, the organization. Do they put you on any type of workout program, like strength and conditioning coach? You talk to him. Do they have a nutritionist? I know back in the day you were a big dollar menu guy at Mickey D's, but uh, I assume that stuff's off the table now. Yeah, I mean that stuff definitely off the table, but. Talk to most, mostly all their staff, and um, I had to download this app called like Teamworks, and it's pretty much all the workouts depending on the day and whatever you like want. There's anything from bike to chest to lower body, all that, and then um, we have Zoom calls every every Wednesday at three o'clock with uh, Rich Peverly, the guy that used to play for the Bruins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's him, uh, JJ, who's the strength coach, and it's just pretty much fifteen pro- like prospects or AHL guys or guys like. Maybe some that are in the bubble that aren't playing. I'm not really sure how how many uh, how many guys they have, and they just go through like they had a Navy SEAL talk the other day. So like, kind of go through what to expect, and like we're all we're going through like a lot of like introductions right now. So you get so I'm getting to know a lot of like the guys in the AHL team or prospects in the CHL or anything like that. So, but everything's been they gave pretty much a huge list of things just to read about like team rules and like all like all that like all that jazz that you expect from a team but yeah they gave me a workout plan and um i'm kind of taking probably three or four exercises out of their plan and just putting it into my regular day workout and i know testing or off ice like conditioning or whatever it is that's going to be it's going to be surrounded about uh, around that so just going to make sure i hammer that 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 off ice testing is interesting because it can only hurt you really yeah you know so you want to just try to be ready for whatever exercises that they kind of want to throw at you. You know, you, you need to like work at it a little bit. Yeah. You know, when I was with New Jersey, it was an incline, you know, on a black market treadmill. Like it was like <laughs> Ivan Drago and Rocky Four. I must break you. <laughs> you just had to, you know, like a VO2 type thing, but 
if you didn't practice it, you would have tested poorly. But yeah. that's just like some some ring shrink advice. You know, <laughs> make sure you make sure you get those uh, those exercises in so that you you know you test well because it can only hurt you if you don't. Yeah, right. You know, we thank you very much for coming in. You know, we're super um, excited for you in the next chapter of your career. The the hard work starts now. Congratulations. You know, you obviously come from a great family. Your father and your mother are, are tremendous people and, you know, your sisters and brother. And, you know, we're very proud of you. Obviously, we've known you for a long time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to get uh, Shea Dallas Stars jersey. So best of luck, pal. And, uh, you know, we'll be watching and, and following you and can't wait to see uh, where this journey takes you. I'll be waiting for um, your father to pick me up to take me uh, to lunch with that with that debit card of yours. No, I mean, thanks for having me. It was great. It's nothing better than talking hockey and just making jokes. So I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully I can make you guys proud down the line. Thanks, buddy. A couple things we wanted to discuss were uh, from a coaching perspective as well. Uh, a couple, you know, rink shrink rules for uh, coaches to follow. You know, one of the most important one, and Mots, you might want to touch on it is, you know, look like a coach out there. You know what I mean? Don't be the guy that's out there in like cut off jean shorts and a and a and a tank top. Yeah, jeans are a real no-no. Yeah, no jeans, please. Yeah, go get a, a sweatsuit, some, even some sweatpants, you know, like the old school. Oh, uh, the old school champions? Yeah, the champ- like that's better than jeans. You just cannot have jeans on the ice and be taken seriously. It's like being a golfer. Like, as long as you look the pot, you're going to get some respect out there. If you show up and you got a nice outfit on, you got a nice shirt, People are like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing out there. And that's uh, that's the key. Yeah, the other thing is get a helmet that fits, you know, so it's not like swimming on your, on your head. And who cares if you have to use the boards to stop? But, okay, <laughs> you know, you, you want to make sure you look the part and, and uh, you know, get around the ice and be the coach, you know, lead by example. <laughs> lead by example. Definitely get a bucket that fits. If, you, if you're not the best a skater, uh, you should probably make sure that that chin strap's buckled too. Safety uh, first. Safety first. Uh, no eye techs either. You can't have the half shield going. That's that's an unacceptable uh, yeah. thing for a coach. You gotta you gotta at least have the the cage off. Throwback player with 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 no halfie on. Exactly. And then a couple other things. Uh, uh, just whether you're the best player in auto, whether you played in the, the NHL or the AHL, or, or maybe you just played in high school, maybe you just play in pickup. But just be prepared. If you have a plan in place, and and you know there's a lot of good resources out there with practice planning and um, different websites that you can go to, and free websites through USA Hockey and Mass Hockey. Put a plan in place. Try to get a couple coaches, set up stations, and just focus on kids' skill development. Yeah, and that's that's huge preparation for the coach. You know, so the practice. The Preparations in the preparation. There it is. Preach on, brother. So we got the <laughs> valuable ice time, right? So it's practice time. We talk to the kids about being focused and being ready. So as a coach, you want to be you know, prepared and be ready. And practice is the time for coaching, right? You don't really coach when the game time comes. You know, you talk about different tendencies that they might see again where within that game. But really, you're doing your coaching during practice. So really take that on. Take that responsibility on and be prepared for a practice and, and give your best effort for the kids. You know, a lot of questions that, that we get are, you know, about playing time and equal playing time versus power play units and specialty teams and let the kids play. Um, you know, one one rule and, and I may I could have talked about this before, but kids should everybody should be out there. Everybody's paying money. Everybody should be playing equally. I understand as a coach, my rule is kind of the last three minutes of the game. If it's a tight game and we're up or down. The coaches may make the decision to pull some guys off and put on your best uh, offensive type unit or your best defensive unit. 
but that's just at the end of the game. So use common sense there. You need to be focused. Don't get caught up in watching your son or daughter play on the ice. Focus. Make sure the kids are getting out there. Make sure you don't leave one line out there for three minutes and then, you know, the next line goes out there for 35 seconds and you pull them off at a whistle. So you need to be paying attention as a coach and focused out there. Yeah, it's just the responsibility of kind of managing the game enough. If you do take, you know, someone off the ice late in a game and, you know, you just talk to them and explain and, you know, just like that communication like we talked about earlier in the in the podcast, yeah. Another thing for the coaches here is it's not all about wins. It's about develop, development. Your job as a coach is to to develop these players. Like uh, Mike said, is to get these kids better in practice. You know, the games are just are just gravy, really. It's not all about the wins and losses. Go out as long as the kids are having fun. And, you know, one rule I like to live by is is create an environment where kids love coming to the rink. That's, that's, that's huge. If kids love coming to the rink and they're excited to come to the rink, then that's what it's all about. The worst thing you can tell me is a, is a kid doesn't really want to be here or he's not having fun. That's, that's the worst. Yeah, absolutely. The, the worst thing that you can do is, is not have a kid be interested or engaged because of the environment. You know, they love the game, but they're just not really comfortable going to the rank because of certain circumstances. So do your best to be able to create that great environment and, you know, where they love coming to the rank and enjoying it, getting a good, good workout in and, and learning along the way. And the last one I had is just and you touched on this before, but practice time is, is depending on the program you are, you might get one or two or three ice touches a week and they're only for 50 minutes or, you know, maybe an hour or whatever it may be. You need to get these kids a lot of reps, get them, get them going, get them moving their feet, get them, whether it's stations or doing cone drills or line drills or, or you know, as you get older, doing more flow drills, but get the kids puck touches. If you're there standing around at the board, uh, listening to you talk, it's just wasted time. So you might have to dumb things down a little bit, but utilize that 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 50 minutes that you have and, you know, make the most of it because it goes by quick. I know uh, for myself, it's, it, we started our practice this week and before you know it, it's game time and, and see you later. And that's the other thing too while I'm on the topic is if you're not having some shootouts and playing games and small area games and stuff like that, then it, it all comes back to my prior point. These kids aren't going to want to come back. It's got to be fun. All right, that's that's huge. I mean goes back to the preparation of the coach, right? So you put together a good plan, keep kids moving, get them their touches, and their skill development will come along. What I like to do is try to give them, you know, depending on age appropriate, sometimes, you know, like a shiny thing might come across and they might forget about the drill, you know, if you do two in a row, drawing them up. Yeah. But if you just talk about trying, you know, maybe do some of the same drills so that they have a good feeling, you know, and, and, and don't have to think too much about, introducing a new drill every time at a certain age you know right well even at the at the college level pro level we always had different drills that oh yeah you're gonna do the whatever it is the bc two on one yeah and you name them you name them and and and, you know put a name to it so the kids kind of know and that that that's their routine especially if you you're the guy that's uh the drill buster yeah the the drill wrecker and 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 get to the may may not be the best skater that can demo for these kids you know (laughs) think you can win on talent alone Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Again. You know, moving on, we had some interesting news coming from north of the border, um, north of the border, I should say. The first thing, and, and, you know, this tournament is near and dear to my heart, is the uh, the Pee Wee Quebec tournament's been been postponed for a year, uh, which is very difficult to, to, you know, a lot of teams, especially I can speak from the New England area, 
that's what they kind of strive for is that peewee major level um getting to the to the peewee quebec tournament so that's it it's a tough break for for these kids hopefully at some point it comes back i know i coach a peewee minor team this year and it you know it, it's funny but that's one of the things we talk about is you know can't wait to get to quebec and and you know me personally from my own experience um it, it was an unbelievable event obviously when i was there it was um 1997 i believe and uh we did win it you got uh, a tattoo what are you kidding yeah yeah you know, i got the yeah. tattoo that's right i gotta i gotta check it out it's a uh it's on my quad it's a great experience and and some of the the best hockey that i ever played in was uh was up there and having the opportunity to win it and my teammates and and friendships that i i still have today because of it is uh, extremely special. So it was tough to see that one canceled. What do you think about that? Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest showcase for that age group. And, you know, there's a lot of history and tradition behind it. And I personally didn't go up. My my uh, my mom, mom and dad were like, nah, kid, yeah, you're all set. Yeah, but, oh, you're from Avon. Yeah. We can't afford it. <laughs> exactly. So you're going yeah. to mom instead, though. Yeah. We, we got you hooked up at Jordan's. Yeah, we had, we had some privileges there. Come into Jordan's Furniture and check out Tilt. So we, um, yeah, I didn't end up, you know, experience in it, but I know a lot of people who have, and they, they speak so highly of it. And it, it is a big commitment from the parent, but ultimately they have enjoyed their experiences. And it's, uh, it's too bad that it has to get postponed during this time. In a tweet came from the Ontario Hockey Federation, uh, it released its rules for the upcoming 2021 hockey season, three on three or four on four only, no face-offs, no contact, and must remain a stick length apart. Are you still putting your kids in organized hockey? Let us know here by email at tips at chch.com. That was a uh, tweet that came out, uh, I believe it was yesterday. What are your uh, thoughts on that one, Mott? First reaction, brutal. <laughs> That's not real hockey. And, you know, three on three, it depends on, like, the, the age levels and stuff. But, I mean, you're just going to have one kid, the best player, just buzzing around. I mean, you stick length away. How do you play D? I don't know. I mean, it's I I don't really, I can't really process that. Yeah, it's, it's 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 crazy. I mean, it's not even like, uh, you know, I think in Massachusetts we were fortunate to have the higher ups uh, put a good p- plan in place uh, to to take out the body contact and things like that. But I mean, a couple things that stand out is you must remain a stick length apart. The name's Francis Sawyer. That's not hockey. I I don't know what it is. It's it's. Like you said, it's the best guy that the the best eight year old or seven year old that has the best hands and just skate through everybody and nobody can touch him. You know what I mean? What if the uh, what if the puck hits you? Is that is that like a penalty? I I, I just don't get it. That's a uh, frustrating one. I I would say, and I'm sure that I, I feel for the people uh, up in that Ontario Hockey Federation because it's uh it's it's going to be a challenge. You yeah. know, at this point, why would you why would you pay money to an organization? To play that style to, of hockey. To play that style of hockey. It makes right. no sense. You're better off just renting the ice skills. and try to work on your skills. Yep. So we'll see how, how that shakes out. But we can get into the mailbag here. We got a uh, a couple emails, one that we'll read here and answer and kind of discuss. Great job on your first pod. Two-part question. First time U8 coach this season and would love to ta- have you take managing the difficult task of keeping face masks on while on the bench for kids and coaches. Four games in at there over the weekend, and I was sick of smelling my coffee breath five minutes in. Hopefully this is short-lived. <laughs> we, we can discuss uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, quick. who sent that email? What was his name? Mike? We'll just call him Mike. Yeah, Mike we'll, and Sutton. We'll just call him Mike. I like the, um, the it's like take five gum or something, watermelon prism. I'm a, I'm a big flavor gum, gum guy. I yeah. like that. So 
Actually, that's what that's what I would use for my coffee breath. I uh, yeah. To, to, to the point, we're hoping it's short lived too. But you know, maybe I uh, bring one of those uh, one and done toothbrushes to uh, you know on the bench, brush your teeth, chuck it in the wastebasket. <laughs> but uh, as as far as uh, the second part of the question is a pretty good question here uh, at the U eight level. I can already start to see that coaching from behind the bench is more harm than good, especially if more than one coach is yelling offside or clear at the top of their lungs. What are some of the tips on in-game instruction at the lower levels? This one guy's got to be kind of in charge on the bench is, is my thought process, and the other guys kind of have to open the doors and stuff like that, and they can't be, you can't have multiple voices yelling. So one guy, I would say, Definitely have one guy that's kind of the, the you know, call him the head coach or, or whoever, maybe the, it's the most vocal coach, and he's the guy that's that's at least, um, you know, his voice is the one that's saying stay on sides and move the puck and, and those type of things. But if you have coaches yelling mixed messages, it's just going to create a problem because especially at the eight and under level, if you're yelling, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about before with you got mommy in the stands yelling shoot and we're yelling pass, like this, this poor eight-year-old's coming back to the bench crying because – he doesn't want to uh, not listen to his mom, and he doesn't want to not listen to his coach. So the mixed message thing can be huge. So make sure, I would say, one guy take charge. The other guys, you know, coach within the game, and when they come off the ice, that guy has a chalkboard or, or you know, chalkboard. I'm aging myself here, but a dry, a, a dry erase board. Clap the erases out. Yeah, a dry erase board and, and, and shows the kids whatever it is. Maybe they made a mistake going off sides, and you're, you're, you're drawing things up, but you got a coach on the bench instead of screaming across the ice for sure. Goes back to what we chatted about, uh, about the coaching is you coach in practice and then you try to, you know, just correct in, in game. And again, it's no kid wants to be talked to every time they get off the ice negative, you know, if it's positive, it's fine. But you know, it's just one of those things you have to keep in perspective, you know, what a kid is going through. If he makes a mistake, an obvious one, you know, he knows. So you just try to temper some of the, the information, but as far as yelling and whatnot, that's that's one of the things that, you know, going back to what we said, the, the kids feed off of that, right? And also the mixed messages, clear. It has to be the right communication. So what we always talk about as far as communication on ice, we want the kids to communicate amongst themselves, but it also has to be the right communication. I would go back for a puck sometimes and you get some wrong info and all of a sudden you plastered three rows up into the stand because... <laughs> You know, you're fighting the same time, time, time. Anyway, the right communication. So that that just kind of goes back to the coaches as well. You have to be, if you're going to yell, make sure it's the right communication, like time, uh, two for two on one. Again, you can't really coach from the bench yelling. You can just kind of provide a little bit of information when they can hear you. And I think that goes a long way. So you're not, you're not projecting your voice all the way across the ice. That short little two on one, you know, whatever it is that where, you know, you just give them a little you know, nudge on, on what they, what you can see. What they have. Yes, exactly. And I I think that's important. Well, that's the biggest thing, like you said, because you don't want these kids to rely on you to be screaming for them to make the, the, the correct play. Yeah. They need, they need to learn, right. The joystick, they need to learn on their own and it's a game of mistakes. Let's not forget that. You know, the, the, the game of hockey is constant mistakes and the team that capitalizes most usually wins, but you need to coach and, and, you know, you can, you can show them on a chalkboard, but, you know, you can't be yelling and screaming instruction from the bench, especially not multiple coaches. But I'd like to thank Ryan Shea. He was a great guest. Uh, it was a pleasure having him. We're looking forward to watching him in his future. 
In our next session, NHL All-Star defenseman Keith Yandel, he will be joining us in studio. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, Keith has known Mott's for quite some time. And obviously, we uh, fortunately and unfortunately grew up under the same roof. Some great stories, some great insight into the current NHL Ironman's streak, what it was like playing in the bubble and, and his experience of playing major junior hockey versus college hockey. And uh, be a good guest. We'll have a good time with it. Super excited to have Keith on and, you know, looking forward to hearing about his experiences on and off the ice. Another good episode, Mots. Love working with you, bud, and, and let's uh, keep this thing rolling. Sounds good. Sounds good.